Hello, this is Sasha. Yeah, this is Steven. And this is Shut Up, I Love It. A podcast where we invite our guests on to talk about an aspect of popular culture that they feel is underrated or underobserved. Joining us today, he is a UCB legend. That's right. He is also a series regular, I think, on Wrecked. Yeah. That's correct, yeah. What, what's that character's name? Uh, his name is Bruce. Right. He also, you can see him as Earl, a recurring employee at the Superstore on Superstore. I guess the... Cloud Nine. On Cloud Nine. Superstore. <laughs> Cloud Nine store on NBC. That's right. He is just all around legend of many different endeavors. Mm-hmm. A legend in my life, that's for sure. He is Will. McLaughlin? <laughs> McLaughlin, yeah. I, I, I should have let you say it. Like a Scottish lock. <laughs> I wasn't sure which one either. Like I feel like I've started with McLaughlin for years, mm-hmm. and then I, from hearing people say McLaughlin a lot, I landed there. Well, what percentage of the time do people say it correctly? Uh, what percentage of the time? It, it's hard to tell. I've stopped keeping track. Okay. You don't uh, have a... How upset? I don't, I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't have a... Make uh, hash marks yeah, in Nine out of ten Helens. Um, <laughs> How upset do you get when they get it wrong? I, I, I don't. Uh, and I used to correct them a lot. Uh, strangely, strangely though, my, uh, uh, my iPhone, mm. uh, Siri, gets it like that. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Will McLaughlin is here. Good great, to see you. Great to be here. It's great to see Will. We Sasha and I haven't seen Will since he broke up with our improv okay. team uh, several months this ago. Is... It was very emotional. Mm, and You knew what this was. <laughs> <laughs> We're happy to have him as our guest. Will, why are you here today? What have you brought with you psychologically? Who, <laughs> who have you brought with you? Uh, uh, today's uh, Shut Up, I Hate It. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry, not. Shut Up, I Love It. <laughs> Will has not listened to this podcast. Uh, shut up, I love it. Yeah, I, I, Will, Will thought we were talking about something that he hates today. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's it's show tunes. Uh, I, I am uh, I am my shut up, I love it. Is uh, I'm defending Aaron Sorkin. And here he is coming through the door right now, Every, what? ladies and gentlemen. Here's Aaron Sorkin. Oh my Sorkin. god, what a surprise! Hi, it's oh. me, Aaron Sorkin. Wow, not that's not how it sounds. I listened to his masterclass earlier today. And... I've seen the commercial for his masterclass. I think that was pretty spot on. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Will, why is Aaron Sorkin a good fit for the premise of this podcast? Well, uh, as you pointed out before I uh, uh, I proposed this, but because again, but like before, when you proposed this topic to me, I was trying to think of so many different things. Like I think the first thing I came up with was. Uh, um, was the last action hero of that movie. And then I watched that and I'm like, I couldn't talk for an hour about this. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. It's kind of cool. Uh, and then I started thinking like, huh, Olive Garden. Those meals look pretty good. Hmm. Steven, by and the then, way, loves pitches that have nothing to do with actual pop culture. I, I, I'd love to one day do a... How does Olive Garden not have to do with pop culture? It's a popular restaurant. I, you got I, me there. Something that's there. like <laughs> something that's not film, television, and music. You there know. You go. Oh, I see. Does I'm, it have to exclusively be that? It doesn't. That's that's the thing. But I you see. know, most people, most people get a little gun shy when faced with the decision, and they they go to that because those are, that's those are relatively easy things I to see. choose from. You know. Yes. Um, but uh, so I but I just didn't have time to go to the Olive Garden. I don't know if I love it or, mm-hmm. or not. The three of us could have gone together. <laughs> we could have brought sure a recording. Oh my device. god! We could have put the Doughboys. Out of business. <laughs> oh, I forgot that. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, they've already got one. 
Uh, but so I, uh, but then as I, I rewatch, I rewatch all seven seasons of the West Wing every year. Wow. Uh, usually wow. when, usually when I, I, I get really disappointed in our government or I crave good government and I crave smart people who know what they're doing. Um, and that's when I go to the fantasy that is the West Wing. Mm. Um, and couldn't be a better year. I think, uh, yeah. Yeah. 2019 for those of you listening in the future (laughs) if there is a future there's a future yeah who knows Uh, yeah we may all be uh living in jars richard linklater announced he's making a movie that's going to take him 20 years to film bold prediction on his part did he really do that yeah he's going to do an adaptation of the sondheim musical merrily we we roll along which takes place over the course of 20 years and he and he's going to do it like boyhood? He's going to do it like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. With, uh, How long did boyhood uh, That was 12. Uh, 12, I mm-hmm. think. It was 12. I thought it was just 10, but... I think it's 12. It's very similar, 10 and 12. So it's you you rewatch all seven seasons of The West Wing yeah. every year. Yeah, we watch all seven seasons of The West Wing every year. Uh, a lot of times it's just because my cable is out, mm. and I don't have the money to pay it, and I have it on DVD. I have all on DVD. But uh, it's become like an annual ritual now. And... And you know, having watched all seven seasons, I, uh, you know, I'm I'm probably the only person who does that. Or if there are any single ladies out there that, uh, that do the same, uh, let's make that connection. At, at McCool thirty on Twitter, that would be um, the first for shut up. I love it to bring two <laughs> souls together. How did you two meet? We met on a podcast about shut up. I hate it. Sorry, that other people hate that I love. But uh, as I was watching, I I really because because Stephen, you had said to me he's a pretty popular award winning screenwriter, yeah, rich, uh, and rich. stuff like that. Yeah, it's very uh, you know wealthy and everything. But I think so are most of the things that you folks talk about on this uh, uh, on this show. But I know so many people who absolutely hate Aaron Sorkin, and I absolutely bow at the altar of Aaron Sorkin. And so that's where I think the disparity is between me and the rest of the world. Fair enough. Let's. I want to start. What was your first foray into the Sorkin verse? <laughs> Love it. Uh, well, I think like most people, it was his first movie, A uh, Few Good Men. Okay. Which was mm-hmm. a stage play that he wrote did, for So did, not the stage play. You did not see it as a stage play in New York. Did not see it as, see it as a stage play in New York. I was did, far too young. Did Rob Reiner direct that too? Yes. Okay. Because uh, I know he directed The American President, and uh, he also directed A Few Good Men starring Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson... Dim, is Demi Moore the? Yep. Yeah, Demi Moore. I love all returning Kevin actors. Pollack. All returning actors Kevin from Pollack. our podcast episodes. <laughs> ben Platt. Ben Platt is in it. <laughs> Makes an appearance. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland's in that. Kiefer right? Sutherland, Kevin Bacon. Uh, and it is, of course, the story of a jag. Uh, <laughs> a jag attorney played mm-hmm. by Tom Cruise, uh, uh, prosecuting. Uh, the case of a dead Marine uh, died. Judge, Judge Advocates General That's for anybody right. who doesn't know what JAG For is. anyone who didn't watch JAG. Which I don't think <laughs> I any never of your audience it. did. It was on for 13 years and nobody watched it. Yeah, famous for the you want the truth, you can't handle the truth. Yep. That's right. Just if listening you didn't know. today, the clip, because I was listening mm. to Masterclass with Aaron Sorkin and mm. there was a, you know, the clip played as an example of his snappy 
monologue, I mm-hmm, guess, not mm-hmm. dialogue at this point. You, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Actually, Aaron Sorkin said that this is a psychotic monologue, right? So from a psychotic character. Yeah. But he's like, but it's been used by people as the inspirational monologue since then sometimes, I like would, for sports events and things like sure. that. Sure. I would mm-hmm. say that also applies to the uh, monologue from the first episode of The Newsroom mm-hmm. uh, that we'll, we'll get to later, I'm sure. Um, Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> so will were you imme- damn it steven they know the newsroom's coming <laughs> were you immediately a devotee of the man or did you did yeah you- but i mean it, it took a, it took a while it took because again like i saw a few good men i loved it i saw it several times when it was in theaters because i love the pacing of it i love the pacing of it all and everything and just to you know and again and, and now flashing forward like many years you know, later, and the you know, the, uh, I haven't watched the Aaron Sorkin masterclass. You know, he said that you know when he was uh, when he was a kid, his parents took him to see uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf when he was way too young to see. He was like nine years old, mm. and he didn't understand anything about the play. He didn't understand anything about the subject matter, but he just loved hearing the words, and they sounded like music. It sounded like music to him, and he said he really wanted to be part of that. He really wanted to be you know, a musician uh, uh, with words. And and it's, it's strange that he said that because that's really what it strike, strikes me as. It sounds it sounds musical to me because cadences, the plot, the plot breaks, the... Ping pong dialogue. The ping pong dialogue, all that stuff. It sounds very, it sounds very musical to me. And he was a musical theater major. At Are Syracuse you a big too, music so. person? I keep asking everybody this question. I love it. So now you have to answer it. We're in the hot seat now, Will. <laughs> oh, man. You guys are famous for holding people's feet to the fire. That's right. Oh, my God. I've got to answer the question, do I like music? Yeah. I like no, no, music. no. Not do you like music. Are you a music person? Am I, so what, is that, what does that mean? Uh, usually mean? when a person asks this question back, that means they are music people. Because this is weird, but it's something we've mentioned before in this podcast yeah. that I myself and Steven independently don't consider ourselves to be music people. Like We don't seek out new music. We don't... Spend gotcha. a lot of time listening to music. It takes us time to get used to a song as yes. opposed to fall in love with it right away. I take much faster to musical soundtracks, probably because those have a story that go with them sure. um, than I do with like the works of Sebastian Bach, you know? Johann Sebastian Bach? Dog guy. Or Sebastian Bach from... I meant Sebastian Bach. <laughs> Is that a dog? No, he was the lead singer of uh, Skid Row, I believe. Oh, that sounds yeah. like I know a great him primarily as a talking head from the I Love the 80s <laughs> Yeah, that's on right. VH1. He was also one of those Z-list celebrities. <laughs> well, I will say, I, I, I guess, yes, I am a music person, hmm. but I'm less of a music person than I was in college. Like, in college, I was like, I had to have the entire catalog of an artist, or hmm. I had to discover the artist first. And I'm not like that anymore, but I'm still... I'm still kind of snobby about music. I was, there was a, uh, I think I've told you the story. There was a woman I was dating. Well, we weren't dating. We were whatever. She was younger than me. Cut this um, out, Sasha. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I had gotten tickets to see the Pixies. It was their reunion, their uh, first reunion uh, concert. And I said to her, I said, uh, I said, hey, so I have tickets to the Pixies, uh, you know, if you wanted to go. And she said, who are they again? And I went, oh, oh, you're kidding, right? I mean, it's not like I said, you know, the Flying Burrito Brothers, you know, something you'd have to, you know, be, have especially knowledge about uh and is that a real band yes <laughs> that, that is a real brand 
non-music person. Um, I had no idea. I thought it was a joke. I was gonna, <laughs> I was prepared to laugh, and then I was like, right. there was no room to but laugh. But it wasn't he like kept I was, going. But that's why I picked it because it was you know not a lot of people know it's about obscure. it. It's obscure. Yeah, it, it's 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 the Pixies. I mean, they're like I, our, I saw them live. Yeah, proud yeah. to say. There you go. Yay. But the that's flying so, burrito, brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, she said, "Oh wait, that's that band that has that sound at the end. That that song at the end of uh, a Fight Club, right?" And I went, "Yeah, you don't get to go. You don't get to go to this thing." <laughs> It's wasted on you. I'll sell it to a scalper before that. So I'm still kind of a music person in that way. I'm a mm-hmm. music snob in that way, but I'm not somebody who goes to these different music blogs and listens to different stuff and has to have the newest thing. So, But yet your brain responds to Aaron Sorkin's ping pong dialogue or his characters speaking to each other in a way that a music listener's ear would respond to music. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess so. And I guess I, I just, I really like... I really like his band. Mm-hmm. And he does have a very consistent band. Oh, yeah. Today, early again, when I listened to Masterclass, I was very curious to hear that he said his one advice to younger writers would be try to fail early on. By that, he means Done. if he fails right now, it's millions of dollars, millions of people judging him, and it's just too painful, and he doesn't really help his career. But right. if you fail early on, something like Master's in English writing or, you know, playwriting at a university, there's a safe space to fail early. And what he says is that he feels a lot of regret for having not done this, for having not failed early on. Yeah. So now he feels like there's no, like he hasn't developed almost like a different style from who he is, Man. which I thought was very meta and very self-aware. Mm. So I was kind of impressed that he almost felt bad for being the Aaron Sorkin, like very recognizable Aaron Sorkin style guy that he is. Right. This is interesting because the next project that he's a part of is the 1993 film Malice. Uh, directed... Which was one of the films that Will told us to watch. Yeah, this is one of the yes. things Will suggested we watch. Directed by Harold Becker. Aaron Sorkin and Scott Frank are both credited screenwriters. I couldn't tell if Frank did like a rewrite on it or I feel like in a lot of those, cause also he's Aaron Sorkin and somebody else are given a story credit at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was them, them who came up with the stories. Uh, but I've just from, uh, just from what I know of the business now that I've been in the business for a while, usually when you see co-credit like that, it's not like they were in a room writing together. It's like, right. great. Aaron Sorkin was off this project and then they gave it to Scott Frank. To... Yeah. Cause usually they have a, an ampersand if it's a writing team, right? Yeah. Well, this one did have an ampersand. Oh, it does. It. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. But I would say this of all the Sorkin things that I've seen over the years, is the least, least Sorkin me, right? The least Sorkin y? Yeah. In what the, way? It's kind of a neo noir right? yeah. about a, a uh, college professor who uh, is surrounded by uh, awfulness and. Um, <laughs> Fucking crazy, bonkers film, I have to say. A there's, lot of shit there's happens. There's a lot going on <laughs> separately. Just watch it for, just for the listening audience, just watching Stephen's eyes widen. <laughs> there's He's a... surrounded by... <laughs> <laughs> There's a serial rapist in and That's around a B campus, story. right? Presented. Yeah, it's the very first know, thing but you, you don't see. Know it, but you do not know um, that at this point. Very first thing you see in this film is a victim of this uh, uh, serial rapist, who, by the way, 
the very first time you see Tobin Bell in the film, you immediately know it's him. Yeah. Oh, it's very obvious. <laughs> For the listeners, Tobin Bell is the villain of the Saw films. and Oh, I didn't know that. Clearly, this is why he got that job. Um, yeah, but whenever I see him, I, I know, I'm like, I, I know he did it because the firm. He, yeah. was, uh, he was uh, on a season of 24, I think, 24. as a villain. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's not important. That story it's gets a runner. wrapped up. It's not even the beast. It's a runner. It's well, a, it, it's it a gets, MacGuffin to get, well, to get his sperm sample. Right. It gets wrapped up in an hour. Yeah. And then there's still 45 <laughs> minutes left in the movie. Very surprised. Really, the drive of this movie is... Um, Women be crazy. <laughs> By the way, that's how Sorkin started it. I just like started with a thesis line: "Women be crazy." I think what that's happens? how every Sorkin project starts. <laughs> By the way, in Russian, there's a huge giveaway in the translation of the film because oh, what's the translation? This man's wife is insane. <laughs> <laughs> so the translation of the film: so malice is like what, like evil, right, yeah. or something? Like yeah, like nasty shit, whatever. Instead, they translated it into Russian: ready like for everything or like would do anything but in the way that its gender is applied right because russian is a lot mm. of so it's gender. very yeah. clearly a female so it's female so this woman bitch is gonna do anything to get what she <laughs> wow. wants okay. literally that's the basically the translation that so i'm like word. whoa that's a big reveal <laughs> in the middle of the movie yeah so spoilers yeah. for malice um <laughs> long time should have said ago that. Uh, <laughs> bill pullman is married to a former student in fact there is a headline from the school newspaper that you see that says professor Mary's favorite student. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knew she was a favorite. Uh, which is like, wow, well, this man deserved what's going to come to but him. That, but again, I think that's a lot of, there are a lot of very sort of, uh, I will say, Hitchcockian uh, uh, type of uh, uh, props in this. And they mm. linger very long on a lot of these different, a lot of these different things in the movie. And I think that's one of them, just to sort of psychological shorthand this. Uh, that's this fair. Thing. Uh, he, so he's married to this student played by Nicole Kidman. <laughs> so yeah, Nicole Kidman's making a return to this podcast after mm-hmm. Days of Thunder. That's She's right. as beautiful and young, mm-hmm. I think, as in Ooh, somebody picked Days of Thunder? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. yeah, her skin is immaculate. Oh, the hair is so fluffy. Mm-hmm. Porcelain. Her butt. Do not remember butt. I'm sure it's in there. She's naked in it. Yeah, yeah. there's a scene where the two of them in, in their bedroom... Yes, there's, blind have, there's a sex scene. Not, the little boy is <laughs> not watching because he's blind. Spoiler yeah, that alert. Is a spoiler yeah. for the very it's last Right at the moment very the end. Yeah, there you go. Uh, no need to watch this movie now, guys. <laughs> his, his wife is having uh, abdominal pains. They're trying to get pregnant. Why uh, hasn't she gone to the hospital at this point? I'm thinking. Well, she was seeing a Dr. Lillian Dr. Lillian Field, which uh, makes an appearance in a lot of Aaron Sorkin. That name? Dr. Lillian Oh, yeah. Field, that's no. like a senator on the West so Wing. a senator right? on the West Wing. Is that a real uh, one or a non-existent senator? It's because a, It's a non-existent Spoiler senator. alert. <laughs> Dr. Lillian Field is not real. Uh, at the same time, a guy that uh, Pullman's character went to high school with has just come back into town, played by Alec Baldwin. He's now a surgeon. So charismatic in this movie. Mm, oh, yeah. yeah. I have to say. And he works in this, I think. Uh, you know, you don't think about Donald Trump once uh, <laughs> during the performance. <laughs> Is that going to be his legacy? That <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. Yes. Or 30 Rock, even. No, Donald yeah. Trump. Uh, Alec Baldwin has just come back into town. A lot of stuff happens. 
there's he's a fucking people right and left. Mm, he's very sexual and sexy. He's renting and, a room, uh, renting a room in their house. Eventually, he performs surgery on Nicole Kidman's character, removes both of her ovaries. He just goes for both of them, right? Yeah, because one of her ovaries is giving her problems. So they're going to remove it, and they notice necrotic tissue in the other ovary, so they're going to remove that one, but they don't have the equipment in the small town to do a frozen section of it. I can't believe I'm remembering all this. Uh, <laughs> so he's going to remove it, making his own judgment call. Asks the husband. Asks Andy Sapien. He's Bill not Coleman. into it. Andy but... Sapien? Yeah. He doesn't his look last Ar- name is Sapien? He doesn't look, uh, I think it's maybe, or maybe Sabian, but he doesn't look uh, Armenian at all. Too blonde for me. Very. Uh, yeah, he asks for permission. Pullman gives him the permission. Yep. Both ovaries are removed. Turns out that second ovary was not going to kill her. Right, but also revealed that his wife was pregnant. True. That the fetus aborted that itself. The fetus aborted, yeah. Content warning. Um, <laughs> Content warning now? <laughs> <laughs> Sasha, edit that out. Like, put it at the beginning. Now? <laughs> That's too much work for this podcast. I'm just going to let it go. Don't raw. touch those three buttons. Whatever you do, do not touch those three buttons. She sues Alec Baldwin. Jed Hill. Uh, right. Takes him for everything because he was drunk. Yep, he was also drunk. Turns out, though, she is not what she seems. In fact, she is a bitch. Bitch who will do anything. anything. She's straight up evil. Okay, yeah. Yeah. She yeah. has no shading. You might even there. say she has a lot of malice. Mm. Or she's bitch be ready for anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, just curious, I'm just curious. Was the Russian translation for The Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis is really dead? <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying to know. <laughs> Bill Pullman finds out about this, that everything was not what it seems. Spends the rest of the movie trying to prove that uh, Nicole Kidman is getting over on everyone. And uh, yeah, I would say this movie is the least Sorkin-y thing I've ever seen Sorkin produce, just because it's, it's less... It's very twisty. Right, there's more one-liners in this than, are, than there are in most Sorkin things. But like I most... think you're also, you're also probably looking at it with the glasses that we have about Sorkin now. True. Than, uh, than back then. And in fact, the reason that I brought this up is because Sasha had mentioned that he never, f- he's never had this big failure in that early part of his career, so he never had to push himself. Was Malice successful? Does anybody know? I don't think so. Because, mm. I mean, that's why I chose it, just since it wasn't, I think it had like a, I forget what the Metacritic meter was, but it was like mm. barely above 50. Yeah, I think it's or, in the 50s, something like that, at least rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, tomatoes so yeah, probably lower on Metacritic. Can't believe we're judging things by a rotten tomato. I can't believe that is our metric. Shout out to our friend Scott, who supposedly works at Rotten Tomatoes. Yes, Scott uh, works for Fandango, the owners of Rotten Tomatoes. What does that tell you? A conflict of interest there. Um, To me, it feels like this is a path that he could have gone down. Not Scott. Uh, No, not Scott. (laughs) Aaron Sorkin, he could have gone down this kind of thriller, uh, snappy, witty one-liner kind of things although who knows how much of that is scott frank too you know yeah. who knows what the nobody original, knows the uh, soup has been cooked was. and the old ingredients have been smooshed together mm-hmm. but i have to say that i haven't listened to aaron sorkin's podcast earlier this not podcast it's a uh, really great metaphor <laughs> the soup has been cooked and all of the stuff is smooshed together you guys get that, right? All right. That's how cooking works, right? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, absolutely. Cook. That's how what we just ate. <laughs> so Aaron Sorkin, in his masterclass, says that he is not great at plot. 
Mm-hmm. He says Tarantino is a master of plot to him. And huh. he's like, I should have asked him and I haven't asked him. He says in his master class that how does he just come up with ideas that already have like A to B to C story in their DNA right away? Aaron Sorkin says that he comes up with, you know, characters and then obstacles and intention, of right. course. And so that's what he is primarily focused on. And I was thinking, because I mean, this movie, Malice, has so many plot twists. It was almost yeah. like an exercise and how twisty can we get? And it felt like very uneven, that story. And I don't know, maybe that's when he decided like, hey, I'm gonna, you know, organically or not, he decided that's not the direction I'm going. Yeah. I'm going the direction of creating characters in the world and seeing how this world works and operates. Right. It kind of makes me think about David Lynch's first three movies. The first one is Eraserhead, right, which is this very weird, almost intangible movie about the fears of fatherhood and that kind of thing. That's very young. Like, he Definitely. was still in college yeah. when yeah. he made it. Yeah. And then next he makes The Elephant Man, which mm-hmm. is his most straightforward movie. Yeah. Very little surreal stuff. And then he makes Dune, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, this Giant huge budget effects, adaptation yeah. of a sci-fi thing. Could be a franchise. And you almost see, like... The direction David Lynch's career could have gone in if Dune had been a success, right? Yeah. It would have maybe branched off into this entirely different place than what it is now. Right. And Malice Where almost, James Cameron is or something. Sure, you know what yeah. I mean? Which they did start together, right? So. Malice mm-hmm. almost feels like an aborted content warning branch on the... <laughs> also, callback to <laughs> the aborted fetus in Malice. An aborted <laughs> branch on this tree of his career, but he doesn't take that branch. Right. Right. Instead, he continues on to make, uh, to write The American President. Right. Uh, which is the next film and that's what made. A, what a fall in my mind <laughs> what a dip wow that's All right. just me shots fired here we go so the american president is about a president in america a played by michael douglas yeah. a dromcom a dromcom that's a great categorization for it he's single and the press does not like that so he starts uh, looking for love and he finds it in the form of Annette Benning's Sidney Ellen Wade. Yeah. An environmentalist lobbyist. lobbyist. That's right. Uh, not the kind of person that our president should be getting involved with in office. But so says Bob Rumson. Is that the Kevin... Um... That's the Dreyfus, Richard Dreyfus. Oh, guy. okay. Mm. Oh, yeah. He's a senator, right? Mm. So, Sasha, you didn't care for this one, huh? This is another thing that it's Will about recommended Look, that we watch. Who cares what I care or not about? <laughs> this is all about Wim McLaughlin. But... Fuck yeah. I was like, <laughs> what is going on? I did not like it at all. But hey, I don't like rom-coms. And Aaron Sorkin in his masterclass, I'm going to keep doing this the whole podcast, <laughs> says that he that's the only rom-com he wrote and he was really pleased with it. And he's like, I loved it and I wish I could do more. Like hmm. he was very happy with it. And to me, it was like, dude, you have no idea. Will, what do you think of these first three, this this initial arc of his career, these first three films? Of these you, features? Yeah. Well, I like all three of them. I like uh, all three of the features, but I feel like the American president was, and, and also too, he was probably doing a lot of script doctoring and punch-ups on, you know, other things, uh, you know, throughout this. Yeah. Uh, but I really feel like the American president was kind of where, it was kind of like where Dylan goes electric. It was kind of like, this is where he found his voice. This I is do where, agree with that. This is where he found his meter. This is where he found his stuff. Because then came Sports Night, and then came the West Wing, and then came uh, the Newsroom. And everything feels like it's absolutely a, an artifact of Aaron Sorkin. The, yeah, the line from The American President to The West Wing is so bold. I rewatched The American President this week, and I'm like, 
Oh, I thought that's something that happened on the West Wing. <laughs> oh, I thought that was something that happened on the West Wing because it's just such a uh, just almost carbon copy. Right. Martin Sheen is in even the it, same even in even it. the same cast. Yeah. Right. He's like the chief of staff. Yeah. And, Martin and... Sheen is the chief of staff instead of the president. Anna DeVere Smith is the uh, is right. the press secretary right. yeah. instead of the uh, NSA advisor. Don't know the name of the writer, but there was a writer who he was suing Aaron Sorkin saying that he stole the idea for the American president from him. Hmm. But then in the masterclass, Aaron Sorkin says that he had Aaron Robert. Says, yes, that's true. Yes. That's absolutely he true. He says Robert Redford brought him in and the director, Rob Reiner, right? Yeah. He brought him in and it's like, here's 12 scripts that people try to write with this premise of a single president looking for love. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the names of the scripts were like State of the Union or... That's good. State yeah, of Disunion. Pre- <laughs> president steps out or something like that. <laughs> And this and, president fucked. <laughs> and he's this like, This bitch president will ready for everything. <laughs> and he's like, Nobody, like, for some reason, Robert Redford didn't like any of those. Yeah. And so then Aaron Sorkin wrote the one that was super long, and Annette Benning barely was in it. And yeah. so then he had to rewrite that solidified the script. Yeah. But it was interesting. Aaron Sorkin wrote a script that a woman was not in a lot of? She was not trying to kill every single man in the movie though so that's was that sarcasm yeah okay. i think uh aaron sorgan's female characters are not always the best we could talk about it more spoiler alert can't wait but anyway so it was interesting the guy was trying to sue him yeah and then he was saying that he stole idea and then Aaron Sorkin did admit that he took basically an inspiration from the American president and that became West Wing. So he admits that connection because the guy was trying to say oh, that... Oh, he admits that he plagiarized himself. He only plagiarized himself. Exactly. <laughs> you know, this seems like a good opportunity to ask you, Sasha, prior to starting your research for this episode of the podcast, what was your Sorkin experience? My Sorkin experience has been <laughs> I know of West Wing as a big... American phenomenon, like yeah. in culture, right? Mm-hmm. But I only saw the pilot because I just wanted to familiarize myself a long time ago. Mm. And I thought it was cool. And then I knew that Aaron Sorkin is the master of the dialogue, right? So the I, master of the class. Master of the, the class. Master class. So I did purchase Master Class like a year ago or so, 2018. And I listened to it and I got to like him even more through Masterclass. Mm. I thought that a lot of things that he says are very helpful to a screenwriter mm. or television writer. And I saw The Social Network, and I think that's all I've seen at that point. Okay. Yeah. That was my familiarity. What about you? I mean, you saw everything, or? Yeah, I've, uh, I, my first exposure to Aaron Sorkin was The West Wing as a young boy. Mother's Milk, practically, right? Let's keep my mother out of this. <laughs> uh, but no, my mom would watch The West Wing. Stephen was raised by a doll with a heartbeat in it. <laughs> yeah, with a, a human yeah, face, right. a human cloth face, and I thought it was my mother. And she would watch The West Wing, and I would sit there and watch it with her. Stephen was grown in a lab. <laughs> it's uh, called... The Russians. He's a Russian spy. <laughs> He's a Montauk boy. I don't have a belly button. <laughs> but yeah, my mom watched The West Wing pretty much from the first or second season. The first season, Will, is the one that ends with the shooting, right? The first, Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The first season ends in the, yeah, Roslyn, we were, Roslyn, Virginia. We were watching from the first season. It was only when I started watching it again in college that I realized I had no idea what was going on like from the politics side of that show. 
I didn't understand any of that. I don't know what I was getting out you know, of it. You were two years old, right? <laughs> how, how old were you? It premiered in 99, right? Uh-huh. Um, so I would have been, I was like 10. So I expect was, a sophisticated geopolitical mind on a 10-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so from like 10 to, to 16, I was watching the show. In retrospect, I clearly didn't know what was going on, but I enjoyed, you know, the patter and the... The musical. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, that appealed. That That is appealing. So I watched that. Then I went back and watched Sports Night. I, wa- I watched Studio 60 when it was on. Mm-hmm. I think I did see the pilot at least of Studio 60, if not the entire season. Mm. I remember liking it. Yeah. Some mm-hmm. people liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember liking it too, but like cringing in parts. Mm-hmm. I feel like Aaron Sorkin is better at things that are yeah there's always the mix of the drama with the seriousness i mean the drama with the serious, the drama with the comedy and i think he does much better with things that are supposed to be dramatic than things that are supposed to be funny but making them dramatic that is really apparent in the first season of sports night where they have a laugh track oh god um, yes the first season of sports night has a laugh track uh, and and it just makes everything feel Dead. Yeah, it feels so canned and, and, and horrible. Ugh, I, yeah, I can't stand that laugh yeah. track. Whereas um, in the second season, they took the laugh track out, and it's just people doing the Sorkin dialogue, yeah. and it plays so much better. Yeah, I agree. Because Aaron Sorkin trusts you, the viewer, to find the comedy and what he's written rather than you know trying to force it down your throat. Right. So, yeah, I watched most of that stuff. I kind of fell off during the newsroom. We can talk about why a little bit more later. Um, After this commercial break, <laughs> are you guys sponsored? Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Blue Apron. We uh, we, we saw <laughs> Molly's Game, his most recent work, directorial his debut. directorial debut. Uh, so yeah, I've been with him. Uh, Did we like it? <sighs> Did we like it? Well, I think my response to Molly's Game. You have to sigh after it. <laughs> it's probably not a sigh that you did. I want to save that. I think my response to Molly's Game kind of is my response to Sorkin at this point in my life. So, yeah, I've been with him since the beginning-ish. My beginning. Not certainly. his. No, not his. <laughs> not in a theater in New York. No, right. You I weren't didn't there. See, I didn't see the original cast of A Few Good Men. <laughs> so, the American president leads into Sports Night, which then leads into the American president, the TV show, The, the West, West Wing. Wing. Yep. Uh, starring Martin Sheen as Jed Bartlett, Bradley Whitford as Josh Lyman, Richard Schiff as Toby. I would like I would like the listening audience to know that Stephen is holding back so many sneers as he says. <laughs> no, no, names. I'm not. I like this show. I like this show. Then why are I'm you fond- sneering as you say? I'm uh, arrogantly naming the cast and characters without any uh, backup. Uh, I'm, sh- I'm showing off right now. I'm flexing. Oh, I see. Got Allison Janius, C.J. Craig. Yeah. All this of is these all are true. true. Yeah, these are all true. Uh, and Rob Lowe. Fact uh, check it. Fact check it, guys. Rob Lowe, who was set up to be the de facto star of The West Wing. Yes. He's top build on the show. He is, wow. yep. Everyone else is listed alphabetically, but Rob Lowe comes yep. first in the credits. Very first, yep. Uh, Except for Martin Sheen, who's like, who gets in. And of course, machine. yes. So it's a it was on for seven years. So it's not like there's a plot for us to go through, but it's just about a president and his staff, you know, his advisors and how they get through his spoiler alert two terms. It's basically the Veep, but serious. <laughs> 
V, but serious. So it's a bomber. basically like designated survivor, but not Kiefer Sutherland. I love, I love you guys are defining every White House show that came after The West Wing as the contemporary show, but this. Well, for those younglings in the so. audience. I yeah, we're trying to appeal to the audience. Zoomers here. Excuse Zoomers. Is that a new thing? That's what we're calling Generation, Generation Z, Z now. Oh. Are we going to loop back around to A? <laughs> I guess we'll is, have is to. That what's after That's what happened dog litters. Once you get through the Z, you have to start with an A Jeez. again. Same thing with hurricanes. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to all the meteorologists hey, out there. Hey, you. <laughs> And dog breeders. (laughs) Everyone in the Gulf of Mexico and Atlantic Coast. So, Will, you love West Wing. I have to imagine. Is that your favorite? I I do. It's my favorite show. Uh, Yeah, I watch all seven seasons every year. How long does it take you to watch all seven seasons? A couple days. (laughs) (laughs) It's about about a month and Mm -hmm. a half. Christmas time usually when it gets put on by you? No, because I'm actually, I'm I'm in season six, episode two right now. Wow. Does it ever feel like a chore? Sometimes it does. I mean, there's some special episodes that I skip. Do you skip the Isaac and Ishmael 9-11 I skip 9/11 the Isaac episode? and Ishmael one because it doesn't really have to do with the story. of. Is that a bottle episode? On. It's their 9-11 It's their 9-11 episode. one. Oh, so it was that? The, it was the first show they did after 9-11 and it's just sort of, yeah, I think you said like it's a bottle uh, episode. I said that. Sasha said that. You said Let's that. give Thank her the you credit. Yeah, absolutely. Although audiences didn't know. <laughs> yeah. You could have been pointing yeah. at you. should have just killed it, yeah. nipped I'm it like, in the bud. I'm like Aaron Sorkin. I don't give credit to women very well. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's just kind of like it doesn't have to do with any of the rest of it. It was just there. Right. In the universe of the West Wing, 9-11 did not happen. Right. But in this one episode there's some similar what if it did and it's essentially the main characters talking to a bunch of kids about why um is uh muslims are not necessarily bad yeah Uh, but so yeah so i skipped that one i skipped the isaac ishmael one i skipped the one where they interview the real people about uh it's the special west wing episode where they interview mm, former white house staffers I skipped the CJ's dad has Alzheimer's episode. Right. Um, and I skipped the behind the scenes with CJ Craig, the press secretary episode, just because they're all sort of just bottle episodes that don't really have anything to do with. Wow. So uh, one thing about the West Wing is uh, Aaron Sorkin quit or got fired. What he the hell do you know? He left. There you go. There was a... He was on the little ropes. drama. Unlike he was on the ropes for a little bit because uh, he had some addiction issues. Yeah, um, and then eventually he left the show. Season four was his last season with the show. Okay, how does the quality? Do you notice a quality drop between um, four and five? I, I uh, between four and five, no, because there's so many hands on that show. Mm-hmm. There's so many directors and executive producer, and John Wells just kind of like took over as executive producer instead of Aaron Sorkin and he was an executive producer all along so you don't really necessarily see the drop and again there's such a large staff that they're they've been used to writing in this although uh, from this what language I, for a while from what I read or heard in the past Aaron Sorkin was essentially writing every episode yeah oh co-writing at least yeah um, which is unheard of yeah mm-hmm. insane yeah and explains- bonkers that's why all characters sound the same like Aaron Sorkin <laughs> yeah well, he, he also he always famously says, "I play all the parts when I when I'm writing it. Mm. I play every single part." He also says, 
in order for a young writer to write an experience of somebody who he has no business of writing or she no business of writing for example he's like i am a white jewish male from new york i cannot write a from black, black experience, gay experience. Yeah. it's like avoid writing from that perspective so you write those characters but they have nothing to do in terms of sharing what it's like being black in america yeah. what it's like being gay in america that way you contribute to the democracy of writing. Right. Mm -hmm. They essentially exist in his work to be explained how government works by uh, Bradley Whitford's character uh, almost <laughs> exclusively. But that's also a great thing about the West Wing because there's always, and it's, and you know, and I've got, I've got my problems with the West Wing. You watch mm -hmm. every seven, every, you know, you can have a drinking game for how many times they say, okay, there's just a crutch word for him. It's like, okay, wow. okay, okay. I got, you'd be wasted. Uh, especially after seven have. seasons. Especially after seven seasons, absolutely. But I am an alcoholic, so. Um, so is Aaron Sorkin, so. Uh, yeah, he's got many more addictions <laughs> than uh, than I have. And it's always kind of like, a, oh, here's this trope again. There's always a teaching moment. There's some sort of teaching moment about mm. government or whatever. So there's always some placeholder character who's like an audience member that, you know, you get it, expl you know, explained to. I, I was just even watching him talking about uh, To Kill a Mockingbird that he do was doing on Broadway. And he said, uh, you know, I always feel like whenever I'm writing something, you need somebody who is a stand, somebody on stage who is a stand in for the audience member. And so for like To Kill a Mockingbird, that's the jury. So that's how you have to explain everything, mm. uh, everything to, you know, in the West Wing, it's Donna Moss sometimes, or sometimes it's usually you know, it's Dulé Hill, uh, uh, Dulé Hill's character, Charlie. A lot of times there's like stand-ins that don't know things about government it's like okay well here comes the teaching moment and when that has to do with the fact that he writes in the worlds right he loves to take the world for example world of politics world of sports yep courtroom dramas sketch sketch so and and then right and so then you need somebody who is not the insider right right and then he also talks in master class that if you have the world as the first inspiration for piece of writing then that's probably a tv show yeah and if you have an a care an event or a character that's that goes from feature. point a to c then that's probably a feature yeah. hmm. i was doing a rewatch of the west wing um a few years ago right up until november 8th 2016 um <laughs> which was the day that donald trump was elected president of these united states yeah. Uh, that date also happens to be the last time that I watched The American President. <laughs> uh, the election was happening. It had become very clear that Donald Trump was going to win. I didn't know what to do, so uh, former guest Megan Baker and I decided to watch the American president, maybe thinking maybe, Denied it would, of. maybe it would make us feel better. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I don't really know what the thought process was there. It didn't really mm -hmm. make us feel better. Um, My next door neighbor accused me of, he's such a left winger asshole guy. Shout um, out to, shout out to Will's next door neighbor. neighbor. <laughs> we live so close together. We, I can hear his TV all the time. He would hear the theme song for the West Wing. He goes, mm -hmm. are you watching the West Wing? I said, yeah. He goes, so you're to blame for the president. You're to blame for, Donald Trump. Wow. I'm like, why am I to blame? Because you, you know, you're watching this, you know, show about these, you know, all these liberals, you know, trying to make. I'm like, how is a show that has not been on the air for ten years and me rewatching it responsible for making Donald Trump president? Defend yourself. He's like, ah, you know, I just think he wanted to talk to me, but uh, <laughs> uh, he's a shut in. I was watching some fantasy, and he is not here to respond to it. So let me pretend yeah. to be. Him. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that there is a recurring line of 
kind of radical centrism in Aaron Sorkin's work. Just kind of this idea that formula. all it's going to take is a smart man right down the middle who's going to appeal to everybody and make everyone see sense. And that is kind of the driving force of his most recent TV show, The Newsroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, starred Jeff Daniels as um, Will McAvoy. Will McAvoy. Yeah, great name. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, I it noticed is you name. pronounced that one right. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever considered changing your last name to McAvoy? No, no, I have not. Be less pronunciation. Until today. Yeah, you could try and make that connection between James McAvoy, uh, Will McAvoy. career Uh, 2.0. The pilot of the newsroom opens with Will McAvoy uh, in kind of a uh, depressed daze as he sits between these two wacky extremists, (laughs) a woman who likes the arts, and a pseudo-Nazi. Uh, and it's like, why can't either of these people get it together? And it takes place at Northwestern yeah. University of this United States. Mm-hmm. The moderator of this discussion is trying to push Will to... Express To give a non-offensive answer. Right. To stop to stop making such light of everything and, yes. and, and actually take a stance. To stop being the Jay Leno of broadcasting. Exactly. Boom. And uh, you've probably seen this clip because probably your uncle posted it on Facebook five or six times since the pilot came out. Some but personal story. Sounds <laughs> like behind it. Uh, a, a young girl gets up to the Q&A microphone and, and asks Very everybody. Very pretty girl. Very pretty. Mm-hmm. And that is her main offense, I think, is that <laughs> she had the temerity to be attractive and young uh, and a woman. And uh, she asks the panel why... Offense. They think America is the greatest country in the world, and the liberal gives a blah blah answer, and the right wing guy gives a blah blah answer. Freedom and freedom. Freedom yeah. and freedom. Leave it at that. And uh, Jeff Daniels can't take it, and he uh, has a meltdown. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, as many uh, as many Sorkin characters do. Absolutely. Speaking yeah. truth to power. Or like the movie Network, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, this oh, yeah. is. This is Aaron Sorkin's Patty Chayefsky moment, yep. right? And uh, Will McAvoy gives a, a long monologue about how uh, <laughs> America isn't good. Are you mis- are you intentionally mispronouncing monologue, or are yeah. you portmanteauing? <laughs> let's, let's read it. And we... are you portmanteauing monologue and dialogue? <laughs> We're gonna read this right now. Yeah. And if I it. edit it out, I edit it out. Okay. Uh, I will be the offensively attractive sorority girl. <laughs> and you. Yeah, you sorority girl. Just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there are some things you should know. One of them is, there is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you are nonetheless, you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst, period, generation. Close up on the silent student. Generation, period, ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yosemite? Stunned silence. And this is where it turns. This is where he softens. Then he, yeah, this is the second half where mm-hmm. 
he gets to the but it can be hey pretty great yeah i think so better than the american president (laughs) (laughs) i disagree uh i don't like it very much I enjoyed it, and, you know, part of it was acting, for sure. Well, you know, it's cheesy. To me, it was cheesy, but so is everything else, Aaron Sorkin. I have a question for you guys. Do you think we, as the audience, are supposed to agree with this first half? Because for the rest of the pilot episode, he's going around talking about how no one's talking about the second half of what he said, which is where he starts talking about how America can be good again. Do you think we, as an audience, are supposed to be on his side with this with this first half? Well, I think we're, I, I think just like you said, there's a radical centrism in him, in his characters, and I think that's what he feels like most intelligent Americans are, are radical centrists. Hmm. That, that, yep, they have these great ideals and everything, but we're so centrist and so moderate that we can't really think about putting them into play or uh, marginalizing. Because I think the other thing you're leaving out of that is that, uh, what's her name, the Mackenzie character... Um, uh, Emily, actress, Mortimer. Emily Mortimer mm-hmm. is holding holding up a sign that says "It's not," and then flips the thing. Is it? But it can be. Right now, that's and he very... sells that off as a delusion that he's having because <laughs> well, he's be... taking vertigo medicine, and also because he does see another woman's face. Yeah, 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 he does. But it turns out it turns the... out it was. Spoiler her. alert! It turns out it was her. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but no, but I, I think he. <laughs> yeah, that's my answer. Yeah, but no. <laughs> the... the true centrist response. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think we're supposed to agree with both of them. We're supposed to be outraged by the yeah. first part of them, mm-hmm. and we're supposed to be inspired by the the second half. Of I guess most what we can do pretty much everything he does say in that first half. I agree with. I guess the part that I really, um, you know, react negatively to is the way that he is berating this girl, and then also saying that she's a part of the worst period generation period ever. Right. Period. Because I, I'm also part of that generation. I guess that's part of why so I... It's uh, personal. The Zoomers. For you. Yeah, I guess. Oh, no. I'm not a Zoomer. <laughs> I wish I was a Zoomer. I'm straight straight millennial. 18 zoomers, years old. Uh, zoomers are millennial. fucking cool as hell. Uh, <laughs> shout outs to all the Zoomers out here, guys. I'm, I'm an ally for you. Don't burn me online. Because uh, I'm with it. Don't hack him either, because you probably know how to. <laughs> Don't hack me. But also another thing. Uh, later on in the in the show, I think it's later on in season one that quote unquote dumb sorority girl is working in the newsroom. I never got that far in the show. Well, she's working there. That's cool. Uh, she was pretty enough to bring back. I knew that. <laughs> she was inspired enough by his speech Aaron, to come and work for them. Aaron Sorkin loves his petite blonde women. Uh, oh, he sure does. Everywhere in his work. <laughs> uh, he was dating Kristen Chenoweth for a yep. long time. Doesn't get more petite or blonde than that. Nope. Uh, Check out Trial and Error season two. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite shows of all time. The whole episode. <laughs> something that I've kind of had to come to terms with, for, with my Aaron Sorkin appreciation over the years of that. For a long time, I just. L- liked it uncritically yeah and then at a certain point it went more toward um admiring his idealism in a in a cute way yeah to the point where now i'm kind of like scared by his naivete in ways Hmm. it's very clear in this episode in the pilot episode of the newsroom that he has a clear bead on what is happening in the country he Mm -hmm. He, his characters are outright talking about how like we are more divided than we've ever been and it's only going to get worse, which 
you know, it does get worse. Spoiler alert right for real life. Right. Right. Like, but Spoiler his his solution life. for it is, you know, listen to both sides. You know, find the find the real median point here. You know, which has not helped and and is not going to help. I don't. Yeah. Know. Well, I mean, I think his. I think his point of view is actually a little more radical than he's presenting it to. He's presenting mm. it as it's way more it comes across it, it comes across as radical centrism because it has to get on network TV somehow. Mm-hmm. It has to he makes Will McAvoy a Republican. Mm-hmm. He's not really a Republican. He's <laughs> right. incredibly liberal. And on the West Wing, of course they want to bash right wing church people, whatever. But nope, we've got to court their votes. And you know, we know that's ha- probably gonna be half the viewing audience. Uh, you know, are these, uh, you know, uh, people on the right wing and we don't want to alienate them, whatever. So I think that's just uh, an effect of it being on television. If it was a stage play, I think he would go whole hog. I do also see Aaron Sorkin as working the same formula a lot of a liberal guy kind of fixing up situation and, you know, bringing people, I don't know. Like there's just something very Sorkin. Yeah, there's it. so many. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that's why his name has become an adjective. I mean, there's so many tropes that I watch because I watch it so often. I'm like, okay, here it comes. Well, first of all, he makes really intelligent people fall down and trip over things a lot uh, as if that's like revealing some sort of Yep, they've got it all together. No, they don't. And Will, as a legend in comedy world, how do you oh, feel yes. about that? Do you find him funny? Do I find Sorkin funny? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's funny. Sasha? I am not the legend in the comedy world um, <laughs> or I don't know. I don't find him funny at all. The newsroom is mostly dramatic. There's one se- sequence in the episode where, uh, so Emily Mortimer is introduced as his new, as Will's new producer. And she's brought along with him uh, a junior producer played by John Gallagher Jr. He's the comedic relief-ish, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she there's like a five-minute sequence where she is trying to convince him to start Heavy. wooing uh, a woman who works in the Petit, office. Yeah, Petit yeah. Blonde of the office. Uh, Alison Pill. Alison Pill, yeah. And that is like the most overtly comedic part of the episode, and it just feels like... It doesn't work at all. Yeah, I, there, there's some things where I think, yeah, absolutely, he's very funny. But then there's like, there just seem like obvious tropes and setups. Like there's the whole trope of somebody will say something super, uh, going on some super intelligent screed, and then they'll button it by saying something that's, you know, say, you know, 75% of white collar, you know, uh, of small businesses are committed by uh, men with college degrees who went to co- uh, uh, college. They have uh, degrees. Ooh, are these donuts for everyone? Uh, so it'll be something like that. They'll go on some mm. like incredibly intelligent thing where just a bunch of bullet points of memorized facts and they go, ooh, crab puffs, you know, something like that. And yeah. I'm like, okay. It's uh, a lot know, of maybe stop coffee that. and donuts related yeah. buttons. And I it's, noticed it's that. Very, it's very like screwball comedy from the, you know, uh, uh, you know, 1930s type stuff. Mm. Uh, and I think that's maybe just more of like a, I don't know, like a nod uh, to those things. Mm. But in the, you know, the, the witty banter between colleagues and stuff like that, absolutely. I think it's super funny. I laugh every time I hear, you know, somebody say, when Toby Ziegler said, are you telling me that a group of Cubans on rafts who are coming here may be a military threat to us? And then Rob Lowe says, well, I'm not saying I don't like our chances. So, I mean, like the little, the, the repartee between everybody. Absolutely. I fucking love that stuff. Um, but Clever it's is just, the word. Well, yeah. But I mean, there's times when it's like clever, uh, clever by a little too much. Is there anything anything that you want to say that you haven't had a chance to say about him here yet? Uh, no, I think I. But I guess if I could encapsulate, you know, anybody who doesn't 
like his work, like thinks, you know, everything he says is just too, they don't like the ping pong. There's a great late night with Seth Meyers did a great Aaron Sorkin parody where, man, they got absolutely every, every bit of his, you know, shows and the things that annoy, uh, you know, annoy us about, you know, annoy us about him. You know, the ping pong dialogue, the grabbing a random piece of paper and looking at it for something and handing it off to somebody else random walking down the hallway, the, you know, the insubordinate giving in a passionate speech that changes people's minds. The two people, who, the two work colleagues who obviously love each other, who are yelling at each other and it's like sex. I get it. I totally get. Yeah, it's all just, you know, funny tropes. And yeah, I don't think they're I don't think they're that funny either. But if you could get past that, there I think like there's a really great message in his work. There's a lot of hope in uh, uh his work. There's a lot of really funny stuff that kind of goes under the radar just cuz I'm somebody who loves obscure references. These are way too intelligent people. I think I heard him say in an interview on um uh Sunday morning with Leslie Stahl. He said, "Uh I am I am passionate about hyper uh, you know hyper qualified hyper intellectual people and i think that there are current people in our political administration that are making that a punchline now and i hate to see that happen and he was talking about sarah palin because it was an old interview uh but you know people who thinks he's saying wow probably people, Man, oh god yeah remember when sarah palin was as bad as a guy yeah she was the only Jesus. one yeah. now it's everybody yeah but P, I, I just feel like because uh, again he's like yeah america's more divided than it ever has been before and i feel like people are making being smart being educated uh, as meaning, well, you're smug, you're arrogant, you think you're better than uh, everybody else, as opposed to you're probably the most qualified person for, mm. for this thing. And I feel like that's kind of the attitude that people have towards Aaron Sorkin is that he's smug, he's arrogant, uh, you know, he's conceited, he thinks he's better than everybody else. But my opinion is he's probably the most qualified person to be writing a screenplay. I think it's time to rate Aaron Sorkin. Steven, how are we going to do this? Well, so usually we'll... F- make a scale a personal scale you know find something to put at a at a 10 since we're talking about Aaron Sorkin the man the the content creator right that's what we call screenwriters now content creators sure. i think <laughs> if i was going to try and find someone to put on this scale i would maybe go with Shane Black you know they they work in different genres but they both have like the witty cleverness that they bring to whatever their project they're doing and you know Shane Black has made some uh, some whiffs as well, but I guess I I would maybe put Shane Black at a at a ten. I think you know I've got a lot of problems with Aaron Sorkin these days, but I have to say, despite all the issues that I have with him that I had with the newsroom. When I finished watching that first episode of the newsroom, you know I've seen it before. I kind of wanted to watch another one. He's just, he's good, you know? He's good at writing interactions between characters that are enjoyable to watch. Uh, you know, despite myself, I, I I enjoyed it more than I even thought I was in the moment. I So, you know what? I didn't love Molly's Game. Molly's Game has a, um, the worst part of Molly's Game is a scene where, the character that Jessica Chastain is playing, Molly, her father, played oh, by Kevin Costner. No. Um, the park bench scene? Yes. They oh. are reunited after years, and he explains her daddy issues to her. And that is that kind of encapsulates, for me, Aaron Sorkin's fundamental problem with writing people who aren't just white men. That problem, I don't think, has ever gone away in his work. So... That's always there. 
despite it, I still enjoy, you know, watching and listening to his work. I'll give him a seven. You know, that's where I'm at right now. Sasha, what do you think? If we take a content creator and mm-hmm. create a scale based content on that. Content creators like Aaron Sorkin, Steven Spielberg, <laughs> PewDiePie B- on B- YouTube. PewDiePie from YouTube, yeah. <laughs> I actually want to take somebody who is, um, I, I find equally interesting in both television. Fukunaga. That would be Kerry Fukunaga. So like to me, he's a freaking 10. I loved him when... I saw his Sin Nombre film, the one that sort of put him on the map at Sundance years ago. Have you seen his Jane Eyre? I saw his Jane Eyre with Mia Wasikowska mm-hmm, yeah. and uh, Michael Fassbender. Mm-hmm, Spoiler Bell's alert, he too. does not show his dick in that film. Oh, no. Oh, Unfortunately, shame. if you want to see it, that list is pretty short. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but it's out there it's out know? there shame is the yeah, name of the film right there to see his dick which Carrie Fukunaga did not make no neither did Aaron Sorkin <laughs> Stephen McQueen make that <laughs> shout out to Steve McQueen Stephen McQueen not that one <laughs> I also loved his first season of True Detective to me is a masterpiece mm. I know people have a lot of different conversations around that season I think it's freaking brilliant. That's like the next era of television. Because, you know, it's hard for me to find something on the 10 scale that is pure drama, and especially yeah. somebody who keeps coming back to do more and more drama. I mean, Carrie Fukunaga by no means is a comedy content creator. No. There's no comedy. But, I mean, like, Maniac has... There's whimsical, right, element to that. Right. Adventure. I, I, I certainly wouldn't call it comedy, no, but it's uh, it's definitely not totally serious, right? Right. So Kerry Fukunaga is undeniably a 10 for me. Great. Aaron Sorkin, I think that he's a king of drama. Like, to me, this drama in a very almost scholastic way. Mm. He talks about the rules of drama, intentions, and obstacles in his masterclass. But it's something that you can find in any of his work, right? You see a very clear example of drama that was probably, you know, happening on stages in ancient Greece, you know. And it was just picked up to the same rules he really applies to television and film today, which is very cool. There's not a lot of people who do that. Like, his work is probably great to study if you learn writing or drama. And, you know, it's like you probably can learn a lot from the act structure and how the characters interact with each other because they all have their own goals and there's obstacles and they create obstacles between each other. I mean, it's fascinating, I think. And to me, he's very much belongs in the 90s. Like when I think of Aaron Sorkin, to me... He's very much of like 90s television, like maybe 90s films, but he's very much of this like king of like solid network television. And I did also get very excited watching Newsroom Pilot and being like, oh my God, I want to like keep watching. This is interesting. But part of me was like, why? There's Mm -hmm. nothing that I don't know that would take place and I would like expand my mind. To me, when I watch Carrie Fukunaga, I'm like, holy fuck, I don't even know what this guy is going to do next. <laughs> even if he fails, he fails big. There's episodes of Maniac that are unwatchable, I think. There's <laughs> episodes that are brilliant. I like him for that. Like I think True Detective, there's monologues of... Monologues. Monologues <laughs> going on between characters forever. Like for like 
20 minutes or something. You're like, what is going on? But you get into that thing. You're like, whoa, I didn't know television could be that. I do highly recommend Masterclass because I think Masterclass with Aaron Sorkin is fantastic. And he comes off a lot warmer and more caring to people than you imagine him to be. Like, he's like very nice dude, you know? Like, you just listen to him. You're like, he wants to help. He wants to teach. He cares. I really like saw him in the new light from that but at the end of the day i just think that to me the problem is all his characters sound the same they just sound like aaron sorkin in one iteration talking to another iteration of aaron sorkin i think aaron sorkin to me is at a six i respect him more than i love him there's some work that again like newsroom will probably go at seven but him as a body of work i think he's a strong six for me so i lost is that, <laughs> is that no one's keeping the score? Is. He didn't live up to the reputation of Kerry Fukunaga and Shane Black, so I've lost. <laughs> if this was, I've got to say though, if this was a competition, your scores are pretty good <laughs> compared to other people. Okay. So, because they're above five, <laughs> yeah, oh, okay, yeah, I've, I've done twos, but who cares about us? Will, yes, what is your rating? Who, what is my rating for Aaron, Rate Sorkin? Aaron Sorkin? Well. If I have to rate him, I've done a pretty bad job this entire this entire hour. He's a fifteen right. as as yeah. far as I'm concerned. It makes us happy. Yeah, I admit he's got his flaws, and yep, I see everything you're saying. Sometimes there's cheesy dialogue. Lots of his characters sound the same because he writes them all. I loved the park bench scene though. You loved that. It was that my scene. favorite scene because I thought oh, it was Kevin yeah. Costner recognizing his flaws and he understood his flaws. Uh, and it was demonstrating to his daughter that he he understood all the bad things he did. Hmm. Um, but uh, hey, maybe I'll have to watch it again through your eyes, Stephen. King. And, and I through yours. <laughs> and that's what this podcast is all about, friendship. Oh, wow, rapprochement. <laughs> Stephen, is there anything that caught your attention last week that you would like to plug as a shut up, I love it mm. topic? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, it's it's related to this week's episode. I'm not going to necessarily recommend that anyone go out and watch the newsroom, but I would recommend, must be out there, just watch a super cut of Sam Waterston's clips from the newsroom because <laughs> I think he is the best part of yeah, the show. I mean, I don't remember the other episodes that I've watched, but at least in the pilot, he's just this weird, chaotic yeah, force in the episode. Guy. Yeah. I'm a Marine and I'll break <laughs> you. I'll kick your ass. Just often just scream. At one point, he just makes a noise. It's not even a... I was watching with the captions on and they didn't even know how to caption it. I would like to uh, recommend something I mentioned in this episode. Trial and Error, my, one of my nice. favorite comedy TV series that un- unfortunately doesn't exist anymore, but yeah. two seasons are out. And it existed on NBC, I believe. Mm. But it's very funny, out there comedy. The kind of comedy I really enjoy. So Mm. if you're curious about that, check it out. Will, is there uh, anything you'd like to plug? Uh, Keep watching Superstore. Look out for the movie Irresistible in 2020. What's that? The John Stewart directed movie. uh, John Stewart from The Daily Show? The Daily Show's John Stewart. It's a political satire starring Steve Carell. Uh, all right, come on down to the Moving Arts Theater every second and fourth Thursday of the month at 9 p.m. to see the direct video Awards. Formerly coached by Will McLaughlin. Formerly, our... formerly, formerly. Our uh, guest this week. And uh, Thank you, Jay Hunter, for production support. Thank you Ooh, to Andrew food. Hayworth for our theme music. Thank you, Elizabeth Salute, for artwork. And thank you for listening. 